open up to Acts. This may be a quick one today, but that's okay. We're going to finish out Acts chapter 20. So Jeff, I, I know that you had uh, some somberness in what you were saying. I'd like to lighten it up a little bit with a joke. Amen. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite jokes. I probably say that with every joke though, don't I? But I really like this one. This one's really good. A rich man was determined to give his mother a birthday present that would outshine all others. He read of a bird that had a vocabulary of 4,000 words, could speak numerous languages, and sang three operaic arias. Did I say that right? I'm not a music person. Julie, was that close enough anyway? Thank you. He immediately bought the bird for $50,000 and had it delivered to his mother. The next day, he called her to see if she'd received the bird. So what do you think? He asked, and she replied, it was delicious. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was really funny. I like that a lot. So as we move forward in the book of Acts, Paul is very intent on going to Jerusalem. As he nears Ephesus, however, he would very much like to see the elders of the church. So in Miletus, which is about 30 miles away, he sends for those elders. And we're going to see Paul giving a very heartfelt goodbye here to these elders which are in Ephesus as he meets with them at Miletus, which is about 30 miles away. And I hope that as he shares his heartfelt message to them, that it doesn't get misconstrued like a birthday present might. You get it? It does all come together, doesn't it? Every once in a while that happens. So God wants you to see Paul's heartfelt goodbye. As I've been going through the book of Acts, we're on to chapter 20. We're going to finish chapter 20 today. I don't know about you, but there have been some really like neat passages in Acts. And this chapter 20, this this passage here that's before us is probably one of my favorites. And so as I was talking to Amy this morning, I'm like, you know, I'll preach a section of Acts 19 that nobody ever reads, you know, and it'll be something that sparks a lot of people. And then I'll get to this one that like I really like and I've read a lot and I've studied it and this is really cool and I I just am so afraid I'm just going to flub this one up today. So I hope that as we see Paul's heartfelt goodbye, we're able to see the three elements of it. And you could probably outline this in in several different ways. But these are the elements that I've mined out of here for us to understand today. The first element is in verses 17 through 24. It's a factual program. And Cheryl, this is doubly alliterated. I always think of you when I have more than one alliteration. It's double today. Paul's going to give a factual program. He's just going to lay it down for him. And then in verses 25 through 35, there's a future process. Future process he wants them to follow. To think about these things as he leaves. And then finally, the third element of this goodbye, verses 36, 37, and 38, is a final parting. They actually have to leave each other. And Jeff, as you talk about loss, as we think about praying for Dottie and her loss, the Apostle Paul here, while these elders aren't like on the verge of death or anything like that, a goodbye is still a goodbye. He is not going to see these people again just as if they've died. They're not going to see him again just as if he's died to them. What is it like when you have to say 
goodbye. Are you good at goodbyes? Have you ever had to say goodbye? Sometimes you don't get the chance to say goodbye. As we, I mean, I like watching like crime shows and stuff like that. And um, the mother of the daughter that was abducted will say something like, but I'm so glad that I said I love you before, I, before she left that morning. Some people don't always get that opportunity. Paul and these elders have the opportunity to say what they want to say, to do what they want to do as they say goodbye to one another in this very poignant passage. And we're going to see Paul's heartfelt goodbye. Let's start in verse 17. We're going to read through verse 24, and he's going to share with us his factual program. So from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He gives them this factual program. He lays down for them what has happened. They cannot deny these events that have taken place. So these elders, they had to come 30 miles. So not only did somebody have to travel 30 miles to reach them and to say, hey, Paul wants to say goodbye to you in Miletus, then they've got to travel 30 miles to meet with him there. And they're probably wondering the whole time, you ever been called to like the principal's office and the whole time you're walking there, you're like, oh, dearly beloved, why am I being called into the principal's office? And you just get this like, what are we going to be talking about? 30 miles they had to march and this is what Paul says to them. And I'd like you to notice the first two words that whenever you start a sentence and you say you know it's biblical. Nobody gets this joke. Jeff, you said it, wait, you set the bar kind of like. You don't get it? You ever have somebody, you ever say, how's it going? And they go, you know. And you're like, no, I don't know. You're going to have to explain this to me. You can't just say, you know. Well, that's what Paul does here. You know. It's okay. I'm moving on. You know. You know. So I'm going to start doing that now since nobody figures this out. I'm just going to start doing this. This is fair game now. You know. Everybody's like, it's not so funny anymore. You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. He's trying to set them up for an understanding that they can mutually identify with. I was in Asia. You've seen me. You've seen what I can do. And I always have done the same thing among you. And this is what he's done. Serve the Lord with all humility. He's not taking any credit for himself. He's serving the Lord. He's doing what God wants him to do. He has been able to identify what it is and now he's actually been doing it. And he says, since I've been in Asia with all humility, serving the Lord, this is what I've always done. 
And this is some of what I was trying to get at last week. What is it that God wants you to do? Do you have a goal for what God wants you to do? And I had a lot of people say to me, and I would like to touch on this, I had a lot of people say to me, for example, they want to have a better walk with the Lord. To which I say, wonderful, but here's my... roast on that. What did you do this last week to help to therefore now have a better walk with the Lord? And if you tell me nothing, wasn't much of a goal, was it? Or it's not that important of a goal. What I want to know is that you're going to read your Bible every day. Here's the dirty secret. If you read your Bible every day and you start to do stuff like this, you're going to have a better walk with the Lord. But are you going to do that stuff? You know what? I'd like to be a millionaire. What should you now ask me? Yeah. I hope you get a different job then, bud. Not fairway. You're going to say, what are you going to do to get a million dollars? Are you going to flip houses? Are you going to get more hours at the store? I don't know if you can work that many hours in a day. Like, what are you going to do to get a million dollars? I mean, it's great to think about having a million dollars, but are you going to go buy a Powerball ticket? Like, what are you going to do? What steps are you going to take? Are you going to start a business? Are you going to, like, are you going to invest some money? Or, like, are you, what are you going to do? You want to have a better walk with the Lord. Aces. What are you going to do? That's what I'd like to know. I'm going to be a Bible study three times a week. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to, I'm going to, what is it that you're going to do? This is what Paul is doing. He's serving the Lord with all humility and he's going to tell you what he's been doing and what he had to go up against to get it done. Because as you know, as you try to do stuff for the Lord, there's somebody out there who would love to derail your program. And you might have the best of intentions that you want to do this Bible study and you want to be at church and you want to read your Bible and you want to pray and you want to have some accountability, you want to mentor, whatever your goals are and how you want to reach them, somebody else is hearing these things. And he is not interested in you succeeding with this stuff. And the Apostle Paul is up with the same stuff here. Many tears, trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. It's not always sunshine and rainbow. So I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you because he's a giver and taught you publicly from house to house. This is what he was doing. He wants to serve these people. He wants to fulfill his mission. This is how he's doing. He's going house to house. He's giving. He's spending time. He's teaching. He's keeping nothing back. He's proclaiming it to them. He's teaching them, testifying to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. You know what my next goal is? I need to get to Jerusalem. And I don't know 
what's going to happen when I get there? But obviously I didn't want to make the 30 mile journey to you in Ephesus, so I had you come to me because i got to get to Jerusalem. So thanks for coming. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel, the grace of God. Jesus has given each and every one of us ministries to do and to perform. So you may want to grow closer to God, and that's good. And to do that, you're going to, I don't know, read your Bible every day. What's the point of all this? I hope that on some level it's to encourage other people. You want to be accountable to Jesus and what he's given you to do. And Paul gives this factual program, this first element of his heartfelt goodbye. He's trying to establish this baseline connection with these elders. He wants them to know where his heart's at as he's starting to talk to them. But of course, it's a goodbye. It's great to form this connection. It's great to meet and greet. It's nice nice to say hi. It's nice to say bye. But as a good preacher, he's going to give them some challenges here. His future process, what does he want from them? Verse 25 through 35 goes something like this. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom... I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, That after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or peril. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way, laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So there's a future process. There's something that he wants them to do. He's saying goodbye. In my absence, this is what you need to do. And these are some very wise words for us. He's trying to establish more rapport with them as he gets started. Indeed, you know, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, you will see my face no more. I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. He's trying to establish himself that what I am about to tell you, you can take as trustworthy. The advice that I am about to give you, the words of wisdom that I am about to give you are worthy and trustworthy. Take it to the bank. Does anybody know the difference between solicited and unsolicited advice? 
A couple of you do. I still remember when I was in school listening to the pastor of the college. I'll never forget that's probably the one thing that I picked up from him. I'm sure other people picked up other things, but what I picked up was know the difference between solicited and unsolicited advice. Paul's trying to build some rapport with them because he's about to give them some unsolicited advice. And he wants them to understand that even though this is unsolicited, it's still very valuable and you still had better pay attention. And I hope you're just as wise. And if you're going to receive advice, that it comes from a good place, solicited or otherwise. And here's what it is. Take heed to yourselves and to the flock of God. Now, who was he talking to? Remember when we first start doing any book of the Bible, we have an introductory message. And one of the main issues that we think about when we do an introductory message is you have to know who your audience is. As Paul is speaking here, who is his audience? It's the elders of the church of Ephesus, the leaders of the church. This isn't the whole congregation from the church at Ephesus. Now, he will write to them. But right now, he's speaking to the elders. And he wants them to know something very specific. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Pay attention to what you're doing. Be very mindful of your activities, your actions, your words, your deeds. Dare I even say your thoughts. Take heed to yourself. Think about what you're doing. Be sober with who you are. Take heed to yourself and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In other words, who has made them overseers? The Holy Spirit did. Shepherd the church of God. Now, I'd like to think that shepherding is probably its own sermon. All God's people said amen. Shepherding is probably its own sermon. And what it means to shepherd and what it was like to be a shepherd. We don't really have a lot of shepherds these days. It's really hard for us as 21st century modern American Christians to truly value and appreciate shepherds and shepherding. Maybe in rural Iowa we get it more than those city boys in New York City. I mean, have you ever had you ever get your cows out, Patty, and you got to go round them up, shepherding? Okay, it's tough. One of my favorite sayings is, "It's like herding cats." <laughs> it's probably about as easy to herd cats as it is to shepherd the Church of God. It's not a pejorative statement; it just is. I mean, because we all love cats. Well, most I'm allergic, so I'm not a big fan. But many people really like cats. And it's still just as hard to herd cats for people that love cats as it is for me. So it's not a pejorative statement. Nevertheless, shepherd the church of God. The Bible does call us sheep, by the way. Did you know that? On purpose. Yes, it is on purpose. We all like sheep gone astray each one of us to our own ways we are as dumb as sheep guys 
Don't tell me any differently. I don't care what education you've got or where you came from, or who your parents were, or your pedigree. It doesn't really make any bit of difference. You're just, at the end of the day, we're all just sheep in need of a shepherd. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In other words, how important is this church? Not only did the Holy Spirit give you this opportunity, but he also purchased those same people with his own blood. If I were to give you this nice coat, which is super sleek and nice, I mean, top of the line. If I said, take really good care of this coat, I purchased this with my own money. In other words, it wasn't just a gift. I didn't get it secondhand. I didn't find it along the roadside. It is valuable to me because I purchased it. The church of God is so valuable that Jesus didn't just spend money to buy it or to acquire it. What did it cost Jesus to have this church? His whole life. He gave himself for us. That's how valuable it is. Take heed to yourself and to the flock. Shepherd the church of God. You were appointed by the Holy Spirit himself and he purchased it with his own blood. For I know this. Why is this important? I know this. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Did you know that there's people out there that want to destroy you and your faith? They want to see churches destroyed. They want to see Christianity crumble. They want to see you floundering in your faith. They want to see you falter and fail. There are savage wolves out there, led by Satan himself, who, know, who want nothing more than to see you fall down and fail. Did you know that? You know one of the reasons we come together in, like this is for accountability, for encouragement, to recharge the batteries, to study the word, to be lifted up. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. You cannot do this on your own. This is not a good idea. God has created a way for us to come together to be led and encouraged because there are savage wolves out there. Also, if the wolves aren't bad enough, from among yourselves men will rise up. Wait a minute, did you catch that? He didn't say men from outside. Did you catch that? From among yourselves. People that you would like to trust. People that you've eaten with. People that you've shared intimate details of your life with. People from among you will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. To split and splinter the church. To cause divisions, decisiveness, and problems. 
And remember, for three years I did not cease to warn everybody about these things. Don't say you weren't told. So now, brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. One of the verses this week was from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. That talks about that inheritance. He says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And yes, you yourselves know that these hands I've provided for my necessities and for those who were here with me. He says, I've asked nothing from you. I've only ever wanted to give to you. Paul was a giver and he's setting up the stage here for this idea of giving. I've wanted nothing and I've gotten nothing and I don't want to take anything. I've given and given and given. I've provided for myself. I have shown you in every way laboring like this that you must support the weak. You're probably thinking about orphans and widows, which he talks about in 1 Timothy. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because in this life, there are two types of people, the givers and the takers. Be a giver. This future process that's going to happen after his departure, you guys better be ready. He says to them. And don't mess up what he's trying to say. And we have a final parting in verses 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down, prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely, fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. That's it. It's over. His time with them is gone. It's time to say goodbye. We have hugs and kisses, parting words, tears. This final parting is so sad when you know that it's going to be the end. How do you handle it? What would you say? Paul's heartfelt goodbye hits us all differently. We can probably all think of times where we've said goodbye to somebody or maybe we've had to put a pet down and you have to say goodbye. It's really, really hard to say goodbye. And Paul has to do that with these people here because he is on a mission. He's got a goal to achieve. He's going to get to Jerusalem. He's got a timetable by which to get there. And he's going to get to Jerusalem. So he's going to say goodbye to these people in this final parting. Don't misunderstand the words of the Apostle Paul. He's very serious when he lays out what's going on here, whether it's the factual program, a future process, or a final parting. Don't misunderstand his words because he's very serious because what he's about to embark on is going to be epic. We're going to start that next week in chapter 21. Let's pray.